For the longest time, I secretly wanted more. I often found myself shrinking to fit in, settling for what was comfortable, and even selling myself short. Once I finally accepted that we deserve success and we are blessed with the power to achieve it, I stopped playing small. I'm serious about building a life I love and you should be too. I'm Denise Taylor of DeniseTaylor.live and welcome to Life, Love, and the Pursuit of Happiness. I help women prioritize themselves, their success, and their happiness. Let's meet this week's achiever whose story will inspire you to push past your fears and soar. Well, hello, it's Denise Taylor, and I'm so excited to have you join another episode of Life, Love, and the Pursuit of Happiness. We have all month been enjoying all of the great conversations that I have with some absolutely wonderful couples who were transparent and authentic in sharing their experiences. Chuck and I are joining today to round out the conversation around finances. It is recorded. In fact, it's a fact that many couples report finances as being the number one issue for their marriage failure, for the choice why they decide to say goodbye. Now, we all hit patches of financial struggle. We all have to make choices and decisions. And while we have freedom of choice, we don't necessarily have freedom of consequence. And sometimes you run into some hard money matters. You face some situations that puts a lot of pressure on your relationship. And when you can't figure out how to stay connected, you may make a choice to leave the relationship and try to figure out how to do things on your own. But I invited Chuck with me today so that we could share from our experiences. And a lot of a lot of people get a chance to see what they view as our comeback, but we definitely have had seasons of setback in our life. We have had to face some hard money challenges, but one of the things that I am so excited, in fact, I'm grateful for, is that we hung in there together. We figured out how to navigate debt. We figured out how to navigate bankruptcy. We figured out how to navigate foreclosure together. And all of those are big words. All of those things put tremendous pressure on your relationship, but we stand as a testimony 27 years later that you can make it through it together and you can face those hard challenges. And so I am so excited that my husband, my handsome husband has decided to lend his voice with me today and share from our own experiences. Now, as we have had all of the other couples do throughout the entire month as they shared, I want to invite this handsome guy to introduce his beautiful wife to all of you. Well, I'd like to first introduce you all to my wife, Denise, uh, my beautiful, charming, wonderful, sensational, incredible partner in life that I have loved, learned, and grown tremendously with as we've grown our family. We've reached out to not only grow our family to include those that we've produced, but also those that we take care of with regard to our parents and as well more extended those around. And she is the heartbeat in taking care of all the people um, that in our family. So without further ado, my wife, 
Denise Taylor. Oh, babe, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. So I get the opportunity to uh, introduce to you all the guy who stole my heart at the tender age of 18 years old. And for that, I can say I am grateful. You know, I was headed on one path in life, one that probably wouldn't have been as fruitful and as great as the one that I've been blessed to experience. And one of the key game-changing people in my life has been Chuck. And I am so grateful that he saw beyond that rough exterior what he helped to polish and make into a beautiful diamond that shines so brightly to encourage others. You know, together, I say we are fire in desire. We get a chance to experience love and it's not always easy. And that's the misnomer. The misnomer is that love is supposed to be easy. No, love is worth fighting for. And I am so glad that he found in me the treasure within and took the time to polish it off and to help it blossom into something great. And I owe so much to him for being willing to do that. That's what this guy is for me. As I share, we have been married almost 27 years now, and it has been a long journey. You see, over that time, we essentially grew up together, and we didn't necessarily have the best examples to show us how to navigate you know, money and navigate, you know, purchasing property and handling property. And for as much as my husband is a student and willing to learn, we have made some mistakes. We made some choices. And I would say I spent a lot of time operating out of fear, fear of the unknown, fear of the instability, fear of the uncertain. And I probably have forced us to make some decisions prematurely in some cases that resulted in some financial strife. And so we're here to share with you today what that experience was and how you can navigate that experience for yourself. All right, Chuck. So I find it interesting that finances is the number one cited reason above communication, above family, above sex, above addiction, above abuse, above all of those things. Finances is the number one cited reason for families dissolving, for marriages falling apart. And it's interesting. What do you think about that? I think one of the aspects that really sits at the root of that is we don't understand long-term. We're not taught long-term. And so a number of times consequences that show up to our choices associated with money is based off not understanding things long-term, not understanding the relationship Mm long-term, not understanding the family long-term, not understanding legacy or heritage from our great-grandparents to our grandparents to our parents and how we must maintain that. And so because we're not taught that, we're basically understanding stewardship because we're not taught that, then now it seems as though, well, hey, it's not working in this moment. So I'll do away with it. Interesting that you touch on legacy and stewardship. 
um, because that's just not something that many are taught, right? Many families grew up in what we call the struggle. And a lot of the struggle is centered around us not figuring out how to manage what we have and often looking at what we don't have, desiring it, and then beginning to make choices and move to have it, which puts us in debt, right? And so when you start to take on debt, debt is like a stronghold. It it kind of paralyzes you from being able to move forward. And what debt really represents in, in, in most cases is a choice to have it now instead of a choice to prepare for it when it can come to you in the right way. And so there's this sentiment of good debt and bad debt. What's your thought on that? that I think that's very important to realize that though debt is the definition that you gave, it's more important to understand the difference between good debt and bad debt. And good debt is debt that generates revenue for you. It appreciates in value. Bad debt is using your credit card or using loans or mortgages or indenture to buy something that loses its value, keeps taking money out of your pocket and doesn't turn around and bring money back to you. And so there are times where when we say debt and just lump it all into one term and don't separate understanding it, that's where there is a problem. Good example is if you take on uh, debt for a car, if that car is just for personal use and to look nice, that particular car is bad debt. If you take that same responsibility and turn it into a case of where that now car generates revenue and there's income coming into it that's greater than your expenses and the cost for the debt service, that's good debt. That's an appreciating asset. That's an income generating asset. And those two need to be understood. Yeah. And I think that's really key. And so though we talk with this voice now, this has been a journey for us learning how to get here and how to thrive here, right? So it, it hasn't always been the case that we didn't have credit card debt because we have. It hasn't always been the case that we weren't in a stable fin financial position because there's been cases of where there was a lot of instability. And so the seat that you're talking to from right now is the, the seat of wisdom. It's the seat of having learned from our experiences with debt, our choices with debt, and beginning to realize how we could take what seemed like a really low point and learn from it. And not only that, change our actions so that we're doing things differently. And so hearing you talk about how to take that car and turn it into an asset for you that generates income, that came as a result of all the cars that we bought that were not that way. All of the investments that we bought that were not that way. And so here's the reality, because I don't want to paint a picture like we're sitting from a seat of always having had it together or a seat from, you know, like we just thrived in this space forever. We had our financial woes, right? So when Chuck talks about the moves that we're making in the way that we're leveraging assets today, it really came from our unfortunate financial circumstances. 
the circumstances of when we took on debt and we couldn't balance it and we couldn't manage it, the circumstances where we had to face foreclosure or made a choice to face foreclosure when we were buried in our assets, um, unfortunately took a hit, hit when the housing market kind of crashed. Our, um, our unfortunate circumstances of when we face foreclosure and really having to figure out how to navigate that. Now, the bankruptcy we took on was a, a payment plan bankruptcy where you essentially are establishing a, a payback plan with all of your creditors so that you can return that. It wasn't one where our debt was wiped clean. It was kind of a financial plan to pay them back in a very definitive way. But the fact still remains that hit our credit, that hit our credit report. And so in addition to the debt, you know, that we had to wade our way through. In addition to the foreclosures, plural, that we faced, we had to navigate all of that and really get to the point where we did it together. And I guess that's that that's what I want to get to when we start talking about the impact of these financial circumstances on relationships, right? The choices that we made, they are what they are, but all of that puts weight and pressure on the relationship. And when you talk about couples making a choice to, you know, to break up or to dissolve or to divorce because they can't figure out how to navigate that, what was different for us? How did we make and navigate that course because that is what I think people need to hear, right? We can we can give them lessons on how to make better money decisions. I think those things are very important. And there's a lot of people who serve in that way. In fact, Chuck serves in that way. We could give lessons on how to repair your credit. Very, very great conversation. Um, again, that's how you serve. But I think what's key when we start talking about the relationship aspect is how did we make it? You know, what were some of the things that we grasped onto that made sure when we faced those things, debt, bankruptcy, and foreclosure, it didn't rip us apart? I, I think that's, I think an example of that is finding and having people in your environment, not necessarily your circle, but in your environment that you could reach out to that were open to share information, to share time, that were examples of what we wanted to be, or at least what I wanted to be, versus who my circle was and my family that was not. That was significant. Having mentors, people that have gone through, they have the achievement, they have the results, they have the experience, that is similar to what you want, that is similar, that is different from where you are and from where you've been, makes a significant difference. Now you've got a light, you've got a model, you've got information that can help you get over the barriers of foreclosure, get over the barriers of bankruptcy, that a number of times those barriers keep people from growing in their relationship. There's a difference in um communication there's a difference in time there's a difference in freely giving of yourself when you don't have those barriers that seem burdensome mm -hmm. that seem like they're going to separate you because it's pressing on you so much that now you're down to um the very essence or struggle that you are and you don't have any way out of it and there are so many people that to your example 
foreclosure and bankruptcy a number of times, uh, people that we helped out in some of those instances, they weren't married um, later on at the conclusion of that because it was such a struggle. The communication wasn't there, the resources weren't there and information. That's the second part besides the mentoring is information. Two people can be in the same situation. If one of them is given information on how a situation works, what are aspects that you can utilize to work through that situation? Now, at the same time, they're in a different confidence. They're going to get different results. A number of times people don't have information. So if you can spell it out and give people a format to walk through, they'll get out of that situation, be confident, not only to be able to walk through or face that situation again, but be able, more importantly, to help others through that situation. And that was what happened for us. Yeah, mentorship is really key. Information is really key. The only things that I would add to it from my perspective is, I guess our love was formulated in a season when all of those things weren't present. So it wasn't as though it was a drawing factor. The love that developed between us was between us. I desire you as a person, as my husband, and those things were the add to. So when they were taken from, it did not disrupt or dissolve what I value and desired in you. And so what I would say is when you are facing those tough situations, you got to really take yourself back to what really mattered most. And what really mattered most to me in those times had nothing to do with our assets, with their increase of our assets or the decline of our assets. Like I was invested in my marriage for my husband. I was invested in my marriage for my relationship. And so when pressure was put on and those things started to be impacted, what remained was what was always there, which was the relationship that I had committed myself to. And it was not discredited because we hit a patch where debt was high. It was not discredited because we hit a patch when foreclosure was filed. I will tell you the other thing that for me made a difference in that season was remaining results focused. (laughs) And I call that superpower number one, which is seeing yourself successful, right? I remain focused on how are we going to navigate through this? What choices and decisions do we need to make at this time to keep moving forward, right? To, To not allow those things to stall us out, to understand and deal with the impact of them, but not allow them to disrupt our ability to remain connected and keep moving forward. So I guess I always just remained hopeful instead of really speaking from my hurt or my pain, because the reality is this, I was hurt by it. I was impacted by it. It wasn't like those things didn't in some way scar me. They absolutely did because I did what you said, saw information and figured out what I could learn from them. So they had an impact to me. But at the same time, I knew that they did not define me. And I also knew that if we had it once, we could have it again. And we could take the wisdom that we learned 
um, from the experience and really apply ourselves on how to do it better next time, um, how to, you know, really leverage it as wisdom and apply it so that we could figure out how to come back from it. And, you know, I just, it's, it's so hard for me to talk about any situation without bringing in what I call the success superpowers, because I believe that they can apply to any situation. I really saw myself successful in it. I saw us successful in it. And it became like, okay, if we are losing property, how do we really figure out how to get back, navigate back, you know, prepare ourselves so that when we can execute and regain property, we're going to make moves that way. How can we begin to, like you said, look at what we have as assets and generate income from them. And so I, I think a lot of people really allow it to destroy their relationship because it becomes a definition of their relationship. And for me, it was never that. I was able to make a distinction. I was still able at our lowest point of income to desire you. I was able at our lowest point of income to still want to be intimate with you. I was able at our lowest point of income to still have a loving concern and care for you. And so those things didn't rob me of what I felt for you in terms of our relationship. I don't know if that makes sense. And it it does because at the same time, there's so many instances where um, because there are those challenging times, associated with money, which is a consequence of a choice, is that there are times where you'll also find that men then choose not to make that connection with their wife, not to have that desire for them. And then it becomes a point of not wanting to be at home. Then there are other places trying to get away from the situation. That's how other relationships start. That's how affairs and relationships out of wedlock and children come along. So it's, it's very important that that desire is still there. Mm-hmm. And that you really figure out how to keep home a safe place. Now, again, I don't want to paint a picture like I didn't stumble my way through this, right? But I really wanted to still allow home to be a safe place, even if it wasn't as big as what we moved into, even if we had to downsize, even if we had to figure out, I still wanted home to be home and I wanted you to feel welcome there so that I didn't drive you out. I didn't drive you out with nagging. I had my days now, you know? And like I said, the realism of the experience came into play and it impacted me but I had to regroup and refocus on what really mattered most during the course of those times. And it was, how do I create home for my family? You know, even, yes, we got to make a move. And our girls said they felt like we was moving so much. They thought we was running from the police, you know, because we were making the moves that we needed to make at the time. But my focus was always around how do I bring in the stability so that the family unit and that did not dynamic is not diminished or eroded regardless of the circumstances. And I think it's a matter of, you know, like the serenity prayer. And I think of that often where it says, God, give me the serenity to 
accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And so when I looked at my circumstances, there were some things that I just could not change and I couldn't dwell on it, but I knew I didn't want it to rob me of my life and my family. And there were some things that I could change and I had to challenge myself to take the corrective action, to make the corrective shifts, to deal with what we needed to deal with at the time, which included getting a part-time job, you know, which included, you know, making moves so that we could navigate from place to place and, and choices around that. It included all of those things, but I needed that wisdom because some things I couldn't control, but I didn't want them to rob me. I think one thing that, that comes to mind is you, you, um, as you point those aspects out is to consider in those struggling moments, because we don't know, there became the point of trading time for money. And so that the more that we traded time for money, then eventually it was not just one job, it was then the part-time job. Mm -hmm. And then the other person said, okay, that's a good idea. And so now that other person who already has a job now goes and gets another part-time, goes and gets a part-time job. Well, now that's a lot of times you're not at home. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of time that now when you do come home, you're kind of tired. Mm -hmm. Any slight thing of uncomfortability, you're going to argue out of the irritability of being tired or maybe even hungry. But one of the things that you elaborated on, I think is, is probably the most odd that it pointed out to me is that the more that there's the focus on things, there becomes a whole nother strife that comes along because you're, you're holding on to uh, this house. And sometimes because we really don't have housing uh, knowledge of real estate, not just the fact that it's a house, but having knowledge of real estate and rules uh, and banking regulations associated with that, that here we are trying to hold on to this house, the strife of that from two different upbringings, one from your parents, one from my parents. And it's when people end up having that difference and they're fighting over that house that now it's the thing that's so important. Mm -hmm. We never had that consideration. Mm -hmm. The point was, okay, once we understood the rule with regard to uh, the loans, the time frame that you need to be in the house um, and taking care of credit, we went from one duplex into another, back rented out the other one for income, waited 14 months, found another one, moved within the same area, bought another duplex, back rented out the other one, and some other people will still stay in that same house 30, 40, and 50 years later and never had the point of getting to being able to generate income from that house because they didn't understand real estate. Mm -hmm. They're happy they had a house, but they didn't understand real estate. Mm -hmm. They didn't understand the banking rules. And that makes a significant difference. But when you're fixed on things, when you're fixed on uh, the house, then that's when you, have, when you have the relationship, really home is wherever you end up going. Mm -hmm. Home is in Cabo, home is in Ohio, home is in North Carolina, mm -hmm. home going to be some other places. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, realizing that home is us, home is our children, home is our family, home is relationships, home is not the structure, because that can be any place that we identify or control. Mm -hmm. and, I, and here's the reality, it's pressure. 
it's pressure field. And if you don't figure out how to navigate circumstances when they get tough for you and really figure out how to calm yourself, pace yourself, think things through, what's going to happen is you're going to react rather than respond. And thankfully, thankfully, um, God has graced me with a perspective to be like grace under fire. And I began to think about the navigation through rather than reacting to the circumstance. And again, I'm not painting a picture like I didn't have blowups, like I didn't share tears, like we didn't have arguments or tense moments during this time. But what really superseded it all is exactly what Chuck said. It was never about the thing. It was always about us. And that is what we focused on prioritizing during those seasons and so when it went away our focus just became we could get it back you know we'll figure out how to take what we know manage it differently and figure out how to reinstate ourselves in those aspirations of what we wanted to attain for financial gain because those things didn't bring definition to us we brought definition to us. Um, And so that was one of the pleasing things through the experience. And I don't want to discount, you know, people who are facing those circumstances because they are hard, you know, taking that hit from a credit standpoint, rebuilding your credit, taking that hit from a financial standpoint, rebuilding your savings, rebuilding your financial assets, All of those things are very real. And when you're at the low point of them, they can feel defeating. But you've got to remain focused on what's important in terms of the relationship and what you value most about one another so that you can kind of navigate through. Anything else you want to add, babe? I think with that, um, looking at understanding that you need to get to a better equipped and prepared place together. Um, it's not that you just wander into it over a number of years, but it's a, it's a plan. What are our, what are our goals? Not what's my goal? What's your goal? What are our goals? Talk through and work through where you want to be and bring your ideas together with your experiences, with your insight to unilaterally get to that goal. That's an important thing to do. That's where the teamwork comes in. Um, as they say, the, um, Teamwork makes the dream work. And so if we have a dream and we're talking about our dream and we're aligning our thoughts, our actions, our ideas, and our experiences to that particular dream or goal, we have a higher chance of getting there than if we don't. Mm-hmm. But then the other part that needs to be so critical, and I see more and more people uh, emphasizing the same thing is once we have that understanding to then train up and then talk and walk our kids through that. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't become a case of, yes, one generation has done one thing, they've done it well, uh, they've managed out with incredible results, but then the next next generation doesn't understand it. Mm -hmm. They throw it away, they squander it, it gets taken from them. Mm -hmm. So when they have that understanding, as people say, because you've gone through the work, you can maintain the results. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that has to be important is uh, couples coming together with their ideas and their experience to get to their goals, not my goal or her goal, their goals, and then two, being able to share that information 
train up and educate their children so they can maintain it in the future. That's good. So I had a couple of wisdoms, money wisdoms for couples um, that I just wanted to walk through really quick. Um, Chuck talked about this. Have the money conversation with your spouse before it becomes a problem. And if you are still in it, have the conversation because unspoken expectations are the worst. And I will tell you, that's something we still work on. We still work on the communication aspect and really making sure we thoroughly understand what's the goal of this thing. What are we trying to accomplish through this? Why are we doing this? We still work through talking with one another. So that money conversation is not a one-time thing. And if you're feeling something, find the right timing and moment to express it so that you guys can get on the same page and don't don't take on a tone of accusatory because you guys are one, which means that we've got to figure out how, how to navigate it together and make sure that you're speaking up and that you're being heard and that you're expressing. Um, because I will say this, one of the things that I probably didn't do well was sharing my experience through all of that. I was suppressing more of it and not talking about it, which was really building up as resentfulness in me. And so I wish that I would have communicated more. I was all in and committed, but I wish that as we were navigating it, we would have talked more through it. And so just continue to have the money conversations. And there's two things that are very key, timing and tone. Timing and tone are very key when it comes to conversations. The next the wisdom that I have for couples is there is no right or wrong way. And I hate this um, overarching thing that when you get married, you're supposed to put all your resources together. You and your husband, you and your spouse, you guys need to do what's right for you. If putting the money together makes sense, then do that. If figuring out how to handle household finances and still keep money separate, then do that. If you need to continue to do separately and split the bills, then do that. What I found with Chuck and I, and Chuck, you can certainly chime in on this, is early on, those arguments chewed up so much time because we had different expectations on how money would be handled. Do you remember how you used to go to the ATM and I would argue about a two or three dollar ATM fee and we it would be a source of contention over and over again? Because for me, I didn't want to consume the three dollars for Chuck. The three dollars meant nothing because it was a convenience of his time. Right. For me, I'm like, drive the three or four extra blocks and go to the ATM where there's no fee for him. He's like the convenience of my time is is right here. Three dollars is not much. We had so much conflict around that. And so we had to figure out that managing it separate and bringing expenses together where it made sense to cover what was necessary for the household worked best for us. And we don't argue about those things. We don't argue about how the bank account gets managed. I was the one that wanted everything in the ledger. He was a little bit more free flowing 
free flowing than I was, but it was always a source of contention. And so if you are trying to manage your money together in a way that creates conflict, rethink that there are no rules. Do what works best for you. You have anything to add? And I I think that's important because a male grows up in one household, whether it's both parents or one parent, and they see one particular structure that those parents or that parent worked best with. The other person does the same exact thing, either with their parents or that single parent. But what happens now is when you're both under that same roof, you've got two different understandings, two different upbringing that are now under that roof. And you're trying to say, well, this is how my parent or parents did it. Well, this is how my parent or my parents did it. But when that bill comes in, it has both your names on there. So you have to find a unified manner to manage it. So as long as you're taking care of it, the credit profile for both of you together will show up and it's going to be great. Yeah. Speaking of credit, talk about that and really understand what your credit situation is. And some people are stuck on that number and you have to be stuck on the number if you need that number for a certain reason, right? So if you're trying to navigate and make money moves, then of course you're paying diligent attention to your credit number. And I'm not advocating let it plummet, but I'm saying some people are so fixed and focused that if it ain't 800, then it ain't good. And they're trying to tighten the reins in a way that might be putting pressure on the relationship that the relationship can't handle. Understand your credit situation, discuss it, and understand what the importance is for you in the relationship right now. Now, I know some people monitor it all the time and they're making moves to pay and, you know, so that it can reflect and not use enough balance and all of that. If that's what's necessary for the moves that you want to make, then make sure you guys are on the same page with that. If it's not necessary, don't figure in and factor in pressure that is not needed for your relationship. Credit is important, but credit is something you are using to leverage when you're trying to make certain moves. Anything? And that's that's critical because there are times where I've seen people emphasize that um, that credit doesn't make sense. And then when they say credit doesn't make sense, you ask them, well, what's been the focus of your activities and decisions associated with buying a house or buying a car. Well, they would wait till they saved up and then go and buy cash for it. Well, with that type of methodology, you're really not using credit. But when you come in contact with a situation when you have to use credit, now because you have not been using it, you don't have a properly structured credit profile. So you're going to have a very low credit score. That's the part that we need to understand. Either we're going to use credit and manage it, or we're not going to use credit so we don't have to worry about managing it, but you can't do both. Mm -hmm. And that's the part that sometimes people have a struggle with when they try and go from no debt, no credit type relationships. And now they're concerned about a credit score because they want to go into, uh, they want to sell their house sell all the cash, but what they want to go to is higher. And so now they need credit. Mm -hmm. That's an important thing. You just have to understand the rules of the environment that you're going to operate in. Either you're going to operate with no credit 
or you're going to operate with credit. Yeah. Now that's his sweet spot. Shameless plug. If you're looking to do any credit repair, you can get with my husband, Chuck Taylor. He will hook you up. The next wisdom that I have is um, understand your debts understand and be authentic and truthful about what debts you're carrying so that everybody understands exactly what the family is up against. The worst thing you want is that you go in to buy the house and then you discover that there's some debts over here that you didn't even know. Understand your debts. Just because you have debt doesn't necessarily mean that it's a stronghold on you. To to Chuck's point, there is debt that could be leveraged in a good way to generate income producing assets. And so So in those cases, that's not necessarily bad debt. Just make sure you have a conversation around debt. And just to touch on that uh, more so now than I would definitely say probably 20 years ago, if we consider that same point because of names and because of uh, identity fraud, if you don't regularly check your credit at least every six months, uh, it's important to do because of identity theft. Someone can steal your information, steal your name, turn around, make applications for it, and actually have credit extended to them on your behalf and your profile because you're not checking it. So be mindful of it. If you can't do it every six months, at least do it once a year. Uh, So that way you have a relationship in there to where you get contacts that say, look, something's been applied for on your behalf using this information. Is this you? That's important to do now more so than ever. Yep. And so the next wisdom that I have for couples is really identify what is the most that either of you can spend without consulting the other, because that's another big area where there are couple struggles is if someone goes out and spends something, purchases something that they felt was too much and they didn't take time to consult or bring in. That's a very easy conversation. And it's one that you can navigate through by just having it. The next wisdom is what are your savings goals? What does retirement look like for you? Chuck had an eye on retirement when we were in our 20s. I couldn't even conceive retirement. So we had to have conversations about that. We had to, you know, begin to work to understand what was necessary. Chuck talked about life insurance. That was foreign to me. I had no perspective of that. And so there was a lot of things that he was gaining awareness of that he would bring and talk to me. And I had to be open just because I didn't know anything about it. I had to be willing to learn from him and I had to be willing to take in what he was uh, getting exposed to. Um, What else do I have? as wisdom here. What do you do with the extra money save uh, or savings beyond long-term goals? You know, for us, we have an interest in establishing uh, property ownership outside of the country. We want to uh, buy a property in Mexico so that we can spend our long-term goals are to spend a portion of our time there and a portion of our time in the U.S. That's something we had to have a conversation about. That's something that we had to get aligned on. And so when we start talking about extra money above what we're saving and extra money above retirement, 
retirement, we know where we're trying to target that. And then finally, have a conversation and be on the same page about who's responsible for dealing and managing with the financial household and paying the household bills and paying the household expenses. Now, I will say that that is something that I do, but I try to make sure that Chuck has visibility to him. You know, it's not being done in a black box. It's not being done. It's something that he can have. It's in a spreadsheet. If he ever wants to know it, it can be sent to him and he can get a download from it. But make sure you understand who's supposed to handle what and have that type of conversation. Any other little money wisdom before we close out? I remember the, was trying to think of the acronym uh, that we had associated with, um, really with family legacy mm-hmm. and that was associated with the l for life insurance the a for power of attorney and then the w for will and so that as things happen in life sometimes that are out of our control sometimes when we don't expect them um you need to have the will in place that are the last wishes uh, of that person to allocate where things should go that were of their responsibility Irregardless of what you think or how you feel, that's what the law requires. If you don't do that, what happens is it turns your estate and your issues that are not titled in that manner fall into the guise of the courts in the probate, and then they'll decide it. The aspect of power of attorney, when that's done, how uh, power of attorney and health power of attorney, that ends up managing out that when something does happen, one individual is incapacitated, the other individual is already designated and has the ability to take over and manage things being taken care of. If that's not in place and the person who normally was managing things is the one who is now incapacitated, things are now in a free fall. And now you've got to work through different nuances to get that control to make sure that things are maintained. And life insurance, because you want to make sure that future expenditures, future legacy being returned back to the family is being provided at the lowest possible cost. That aspect, whether you consider doing it in a term aspect, whether it ends up being in burial or final expenses or whole life infinite banking. Either way, make sure that you do have life insurance in there because no one has money that's sitting aside that's going to take care of, that's earmarked just to take care of funeral expenses. You need to make sure that's managed in an appropriate manner at the least, at the lowest possible cost with the least amount of future worry. Yeah. You know, the most disheartening thing is when you see those type of events happen and families are really grappling with how to handle those circumstances. And so that type of preparation is key. I know um, when we went through the process of trying to make sure that things were in order um, for our final uh, wishes and planning, It's something that is difficult to think through, but I always tell people you only got to think through it for like two hours and then you don't have to think about it anymore. So take the time to really get things in order because you don't want to pass on a burden to those you love. So, babe, thank you so much. Um, for joining me. And here, as you know, we're all about building a life that we love without apology. And so I always close out every segment with my three questions. And so this is your chance to share. Tell me what would be the life wisdom that you would tell your younger self if you could? If you focus on the future 
and work back to where you are, things along the way will be so much better for you and everyone else around you rather than responding to the moment. That's good, right? All right. You love wisdom. What would you tell your younger self about love if you could? Love through the moment will last a lifetime. Love through the moment. I'm down with that. Okay. And then finally, (laughs) and then finally, what's your happiness wisdom? What would you tell yourself, your younger self about happiness if you could? Happiness isn't just for you. Happiness is uh, for those around you. And the more that your thoughts and actions are associated with creating moments for others to be happy, it's then reciprocated. When the Bible says, given it shall be given unto you, the more that you have a focus on taking care of others and making sure that they have happy moments, they don't want that to stop. They'll then reciprocate to make sure that you have happy moments too. Babe, you make me happy. Been working on the baby and you've been doing the same for me. That's why we're still here. All right. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for your wisdoms. They were beautiful. And I hope, I hope that something was said today that helped you uh, understand how to navigate hard money uh, situations and really focus on the greatness and the power of your relationship and love for one another. And as always, I appreciate you being connected to our uh, platform here, Life, Love, in the Pursuit of Happiness. And thank you for tuning in. Well, that's it, beautiful. Thank you for tuning in. Don't ever forget that you truly deserve life, love, and all the happiness your heart can hold. Be relentless in building a life you love without apology. I'm Denise Taylor, and you can always find me in our free Facebook community. Life, love, in the pursuit of happiness, easy to find. Now, if you want more information about my success superpowers, as I'm sure you do, download my free success superpowers ebook at denisetaylor.live forward slash podcast. And one last thing, always embrace your power and go.